So Matthew 6, verse 25, page 979. Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Well, how, anx- how ambitious would you say that you are? To a scale of 0 to 10, 10 being uh, supremely ambitious, where would you put yourself at the moment? What score would you give yourself? And do you think that being am- ambitious is a good thing or a bad thing? I want to say that I think God wants us to be ambitious. God wants us to be very ambitious. But, and for some of us, the problem may be that we're not ambitious enough. But the question is, ambitious for what? So is some ambition better than other ambition? So is being ambitious to succeed at work, climb the ladder, uh, to make more money, is that a good ambition? I mean, how about being ambitious to improve your marathon time, or to do a, a bench press PB, or whatever you're into? Are we ambitious for the best things, or for things that don't ultimately matter? That's what we're looking at today, and we need to start by uh, defining terms. So what is ambition? Let me give you the dictionary definition. Determination to achieve success or distinction, usually in a chosen field, or the object of this determination. So it's basically a strong desire to do something or to achieve something. So to push forward, to reach a goal, whatever it takes. So he might say, you know, her ambition was to become a pilot, or his ambition was to make the Olympic team. Now that sounds like a positive quality, doesn't it? It's a good thing. So if you're not ambitious, it sounds like you're happy just to drift along through life without any goals, without determination, content with just getting by. That doesn't sound good, does it? And it doesn't sound Christ-like. Because if ambition is determination to achieve a goal, whatever the cost, we'd have to say Jesus was very ambitious. I mean, Jesus was not someone drifting through life. There was a man on a mission. He was so determined to succeed that on one occasion, his disciples came and they were urging him to eat something. And he replied, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. 
That's a man on a mission. At the beginning of his public ministry, Jesus went off to pray in a remote place, and his disciples came, and they said, look, everyone's looking for you. And he replied, let's go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I've come. Very, very clear sense of what he was here to do, and he would not be deflected from that. Ultimately, he knew that his mission was to give his life as a ransom for many. And so we read in Luke 9 that when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He set his face. It's an expression meaning he was determined and nothing would get in his way of him doing the will of his father. Now, we are not Jesus. We are not the saviour of the world. I'm sorry if that's a disappointment to anyone here today, but... That's not our mission. What is? Well, we should be equally determined to do the will of the Father. But what is his will for us? What's his will for our lives? Our lives are short. What are we here for? What should be our ambition? What should we be pursuing in life? Well, Jesus said to his disciples, just had it in our reading, Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness. It's there in the box on the sheets, the outline there. Sorry, the footnote seems to be wrong, but it's Matthew 6.33. And the word for seek there, it means to devote serious effort to realize one's desire or objective or to strive for. So what are we to devote serious effort to? What are we to strive for? What are we to seek first So not just one goal among many, but number one priority in life, above all else, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That is to be our overriding ambition. In the previous verses, uh, Jesus talks about things that people in the world around us are seeking after, Things like food and drink and clothes. And he says, verse 32, the Gentiles seek after all these things. Jesus wants his followers, his disciples, to be equally determined, equally ambitious, but for other goals. Seek first, he said, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, we obviously need the material stuff. We need food and drink and clothes. Jesus says in verse 32, your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But instead of being absorbed by material concerns, he says we're to trust that God will provide for us. Verse 33, all these things will be added to you. And instead, we are to give ourselves to what ultimately matters, which is God's kingdom and God's righteousness. Now, what does that mean? Well, let's take them in turn. Firstly, seek first the kingdom of God. What is God's kingdom is his rule. It's God's rule. So, the ultimate blessing of being God's people, living in God's place, under God's rule. We had it in our first reading that God revealed to the prophet Daniel that God's kingdom, ruled over by the Son of Man, it's kind of the only, thing, the only thing left standing in the end. So when all the other kingdoms have passed away, God's kingdom will be left standing and it will last forever. 
And in the end, all of us here today will be either inside or outside that eternal kingdom. And to be outside God's kingdom in eternity is to be forever in the outer darkness, Jesus said, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to be inside the kingdom for eternity is life and joy and peace with God, with his people, forever, in a renewed universe. And so Jesus said, we are to seek first the kingdom. For ourselves, for starters. For ourselves, for starters. So we need to make sure that we are in. I mean, this is, is too important, isn't it, to leave to chance. It's too important to just hope, you know, everything's going to work out okay. We need to make sure that we are in. So Jesus said in Luke 13, he said, strive, which means to make every effort, strive to enter through the narrow door. When Jesus met a religious leader, this guy Nicodemus in John 3, he didn't beat about the bush, he got straight to the point. And he said to this guy, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You must be born again, he said. And that happens when we put our trust in Jesus, when we believe in him. And then having believed in him and having been transferred into his kingdom, we need to keep going in obedient faith. And we need to take to heart the warnings which fill the letter of Hebrews. Warnings about drifting away from the gospel. We need to make sure we don't do that. One of the lessons of this recent Titan sub-tragedy was listen to warnings, wasn't it? So the CEO of OceanGate, he repeatedly dismissed warnings about the safety of this sub's design. He was urged, wasn't he, to stop using it until it was certified. But he dismissed all these warnings as baseless cries. Now we mustn't do that with the warnings in the Bible. We need to persevere, we need to press on in obedient faith. Do you remember the Apostle Paul who said, I press on towards the goal for the prize. So that was his ambition. He saw himself as being a runner in a race, determined to win. So in 1 Corinthians 9 he says, only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it. I do not run aimlessly. That was Paul. That was his ambition. Think about an Olympic athlete uh, training for uh, the Olympics next year. Or think about, um, you know, Tour de France began yesterday, didn't it? One of the cyclists in the Tour de France, the kind of training that they do. How determined they are, how ambitious they are, the sacrifices they make because they're focused on the goal. And Paul is saying we should be equally focused on the goal of God's eternal kingdom and making sure we get there. In my uh, teen years, I was in a church youth fellowship uh, with my older brother, and we uh, we had a little friendship group, and one of the guys there was a really keen Christian, but in years after that, he drifted away from Christ. And I heard last week that he just died. Now, I have no idea where he stood before the Lord in the end. But it was a reminder of how short life is and how vital it is that we seek first the kingdom of God for ourselves, but then also for others. 
So as they tell you on flights, fit your own oxygen mask first, then seek to help your neighbour. So having sought the kingdom for ourselves first, we are then to seek the kingdom for others, out of love for them. That means we need to tell them about the kingdom, we need to help them enter the kingdom, we need to encourage them to keep going in the kingdom. Jesus' message was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 4. And it says in Matthew 4.23, he went about proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. It's the same with the Apostle Paul. So we started a series recently on Acts, and uh, the book of Acts ends with Paul in Rome. Acts 28.31 says, he's there in Rome proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. So the kingdom was his number one concern. He told the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, he said, I don't account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That was his ambition. Now, as we've said already, we are not the saviour of the world and we are not the apostles of the Gentiles, but we are still to be ambitious for the kingdom. We prayed in the Lord's Prayer, don't we? Your kingdom come. That's what Jesus taught us to pray to the Father. There's a book, um, I think we have it, yeah, we've got it on the bookstall over there, uh, called Gospel Patrons. And it's a book that tells the story of Christians in history who had this ambition, this kingdom ambition. Now, they weren't, they weren't full-time gospel workers themselves, they were doing regular jobs and so on, but they were just as committed to the cause of the kingdom. The book says this, After we receive the gospel of grace, God wants you and me to go to work with him. He adopts us, and he then invites us into the family business, which is a nice way of putting it. What is the family business? It's the kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. The people enter it through believing the good news about Jesus and continue in it. Now, we may have different roles, but we're all in the family business, the business of the kingdom. This uh, Gospel Patrons book tells the story of Lady Huntingdon. She was an 18th century um, high society lady, very influential, very wealthy, high society. She became good friends with the evangelist George Whitfield. And she then went on to use her money, her position, her influence to support his gospel work. And she said this, I now see the one thing worth living for must be proclaiming the love of God to man in Christ Jesus. She'd got it. Seek first the kingdom of God. So our number one ambition should be to enter it, to keep going in it, and to serve the cause of the kingdom, the family business. We're going to sing this in our last song. Your glorious cause, O God, engages our hearts. May Jesus Christ be known wherever we are. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. His righteousness. In the Bible, righteousness can mean one of two things. First, there is the righteousness we receive from God as a gift. That is the right standing with him through faith in Christ, being justified. But second, there is the righteousness of life 
which we are then to pursue. And that is the meaning here, I think. Uh, This verse comes in the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is all about how we are to live as followers of Christ. So back a page in 5.20, Matthew 5.20, Jesus said that our righteousness needs to exceed that of the Pharisees. And then in 6 verse 1, he talks about practicing your righteousness. So it's about how we live. So seek first God's righteousness means that our ambition should be to become more like Christ, to become more godly. Now this is an essential hallmark of kingdom people. So Jesus warned a few verses later, over in chapter 7, verse 21, he warns, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And that is why godly living is such a massive emphasis in the New Testament letters. So 1 Thessalonians 4, this is the will of God, your holiness. Timothy was told to flee from sin, 1 Timothy 6, flee from sin, and to pursue, what was he to pursue? Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Seek first his righteousness. I don't know if you've seen any of that uh, Netflix documentary, Arnold, about Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, There he was as a teenager, he made it his ambition, he was going to become the world's number one bodybuilder. That was his dream. He had pictures of these bodybuilders on his bedroom wall. He would dedicate hours a day to lifting those weights in the gym, pumping iron. And he got there, you know, Mr. Universe, Mr. Olympia. Well, we are to be as determined, as ambitious to build, not just muscle, but to build godly character. And that requires spirit-powered, gospel-driven, faith-fueled effort. It's what Kevin DeYoung calls it in his book, um, great book, well worth reading, A Hole in Our our Holiness, A Hole in Our Holiness. Many years ago, a guy called Jim Packer, a well-known theologian, he wrote a book called A Passion for Holiness, and the reason he wrote it, he said, was because he had noticed in churches, quote, the shift of Christian interest away from the pursuit of holiness to focus on fun and fulfillment, ego massage, and techniques for present success. We are to seek first God's righteousness. And as an ambition, you might say, it doesn't seem very spectacular, it doesn't seem very flash. And it isn't. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 11, we're told to aspire to make it our ambition to to live quietly, and to mind our own affairs, and to work. But that kind of ordinary living, ordinary Christian living, is pleasing to God. So, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's both and, both those things. What happens if we seek first the kingdom, but we neglect the righteousness, the personal righteousness? Well, that has been the downfall, hasn't it, of so many Christian leaders. Ravi Zacharias, Mark Driscoll, Carl Lentz, Mike Pilavachi, if the allegations prove true. Song of Songs, chapter 1, verse 6, says this. They made me keeper of the vineyards, 
but my own vineyard I've neglected. Isn't that a powerful verse? They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I've neglected. We mustn't do that. We need to do our own weeding. We need to tend our own vineyard. If we don't do that, if we don't seek first God's righteousness, then seeking his kingdom will get twisted into something ugly that's all about me, about my glory, about my power, my empire. And we become consumed by selfish ambition that the Bible warns us against. We become like James and John in Mark 10.37, who just wanted positions of power in the kingdom for themselves. So those are to be our two big ambitions. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So we could call it the cause and character. Or we could call it gospel and godliness. That's what we are to pursue. Those are the non-negotiables. But what does that look like in the everyday? What does it look like in the different areas of our lives? Is it okay to have smaller ambitions in these different areas of life or not? Well, in this final bit, we're just going to think through some examples. So firstly, working life, or it might be school for you or university. What should be our big ambition? Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. So let's take those kingdom. So at work or school, university, our number one ambition should be the advance of the gospel, the kingdom. So to be known as followers of Jesus Christ, to pray for opportunities for the gospel to go out to look out for other believers, to encourage them in their faith, and to invest money that we earn in the family business. So that's kingdom, righteousness, or what that looked like, to be godly at work. That should be our ambition, to be kind, to be loving, uh, to be hardworking, to be someone of integrity, to do our work for the Lord, to serve him. Those are the big ambitions. Is it okay to have smaller ambitions at work as well, what we could call sort of mini-ambitions. So is it okay as a Christian to want to, to get promoted, to climb the ladder, to become a director or a partner or a consultant? Is that okay for a Christian? The Bible doesn't address that question directly. It doesn't commend it, doesn't condemn it. So presumably it's fine as long as... As long as, it is, as long as it doesn't compromise the big ones, the big ambitions. So what were they? The cause. So the ambition to climb the ladder is wrong if it means we go quiet on being a follower of Christ because we don't want to compromise our you know, being promoted. We go quiet on the gospel, then it's wrong. Or if we start distancing ourselves from other Christians, righteousness, the small ambition is wrong if the way we go about climbing the ladder is ungodly, if it means we mistreat other people, we stab people in the back, or if we're motivated by wrong reasons. So not to serve, but just because, you know, I want to make a name for myself, I want to prove myself because my identity is too tied into my work. good question to ask is, why am I wanting to climb the ladder and be suspicious of our motives? Also, the mini-ambition at work would be wrong if it stopped us fulfilling the big ambitions in other areas of life. So if our mini-ambition at work becomes so all-consuming so that we've got no time, we've got no energy to fulfill the big ambitions at home or at church 
then we've allowed a mini-ambition to get too big. But if it's not compromising the big ambitions at work or in other areas, then it is fine, I think, to want to succeed, to do well, to get promoted, to get to positions of greater influence. Secondly, how about home life? Um, we're not just workers, are we? So uh, we are to am- we're to be ambitious in our home life as well. For the big ambitions, the gospel and godliness. And so if we're married... Are we ambitious for the big ambitions in our marriage? What were they? The kingdom. So that would mean uh, ambitious to encourage our spouse in the faith, to serve the gospel together. Righteousness, so to be ambitious to be a godly spouse. To be, I want to be more kind, I want to be more loving. I want to look more to the interests of the other person. And if we're not married, we could apply the same principles to close friendships. So there's the big ambitions in marriage. Then we say, well, what about mini-ambitions in marriage? Is that okay? So is it okay for you to make it your ambition as a couple to become ballroom dancers together? Well, sure, fine, if that's your thing, you know, enjoy God's good gift of dancing, as long as it doesn't compromise the big ambitions. The kingdom. Well, doing ballroom dancing gives you opportunity to get to know other people, that's great. But if it meant that every other weekend you were away and you couldn't get to church because you were competing in ballroom dancing competitions, that's not good. Righteousness in your ballroom dancing. So it's not okay if you start flirting with other people during the flamenco. (laughs) Or if, you know, when you're doing the foxtrot, you're looking at other people and you're feeling dissatisfied with your spouse. Then it's not okay. You've compromised the big ambition. Righteousness. What about if you have children? What are the big ambitions we should have for them? Well, you'll be able to do this now, hopefully yourself. But kingdom, big ambition, that they enter the kingdom, become disciples of Christ, grow as disciples of Christ, live to serve him. That's the biggie. Righteousness, that they live godly lives. And so as parents, we should aim to model these big ambitions in our own lives. Those are the big things for your kids. Is it okay to have smaller ambitions for your kids, mini ambitions, so that they get good grades, that they succeed academically, that they do well in sport, music? Well, what's the answer? Yes, as long as the mini ambitions don't get in the way of the big ones. But not if we're taking them away from Sunday church by booking them in for football lessons every weekend. Or not if they can't get to youth group because instead they're doing trombone lessons every night of the week because you're so passionate about them becoming some trombone expert. Then what we've lost sight of what ultimately matters. And in our personal lives, we need to keep the big ambitions at the centre. So other mini-ambitions are fine as long as we keep the big ambitions in the driving seat. And there are so many wonderful things, aren't there, in life that God has created for us to enjoy. So you might have, we might have a mini ambition to become a faster runner. Or to learn how to paint. Or to travel the world and to explore. And that's good, that's fine, but we need to beware. And so easily, and I've definitely noticed this tendency in myself, so easily, what starts off as a good mini-ambition, can become all-consuming. 
So it starts as a, a valid mini ambition to get fitter, but then it becomes all consuming, and then you're training three hours a day for some ultra marathon, and you've got no time left for your friends, or your spouse, or your kids, or for church. And then a mini ambition has become what we're seeking first, and then it's wrong, and we need to repent of it. How about church? Well, big ambitions of the kingdom, to do what we can to serve the church, to further its mission, locally, globally, using our gifts, our resources, engaging and evangelizing those outside, establishing and equipping those inside the kingdom. Righteousness, so doing this in a godly way, being kind, being loving, being caring, looking to the needs of others. So not selfishly looking out for praise for ourselves, glory, recognition, not aggressively pursuing our own agenda at church, not being prickly and causing divisions and so on. So in conclusion, God wants us to be ambitious, but ambitious for what ultimately matters, what matters eternally. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So it's gospel and godliness. It's cause and character. It's kingdom and righteousness. That is the big stuff that matters. And if at the moment we'd say that we are people who are keeping the main thing the main thing, well, praise God for that. That is a wonderful sign of God's grace in our lives if we're doing that. While so many in the world around us are chasing their trivial pursuits. But we need to beware drifting from this. And all too easily, and I'm very prone to this myself, we become too ambitious for small things and not ambitious enough for the big things. How tragic, if if as Christians, how tragic it would be if we get very excited about our mini-ambitions, but not about God's big ones. So how sad it would be if we were ambitious to get on at work, but not to be godly at work, and not to see colleagues come to know Christ. How distorted if we were ambitious for our kids to get good grades and get to a good university, but not for them to become mature disciples of Christ. How lacking in perspective it would be if we were ambitious to get our marathon time under four hours or three hours or whatever, or reduce your golf handicap, but not to be a better husband or a better wife or a better friend. How short-sighted if we were ambitious to make as much money as possible, but not ambitious to be more useful in serving church, or to use our money for the gospel and to be generous. None of these many ambitions are wrong, but they're not to be number one. What are we seeking first? Is it the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Is that what we're excited about above all else? Is that what we are pursuing with determination and passion? Is that what gets us out of bed in the morning? Or has something else taken the number one spot, the center circle? If so, we need to repent, because if something else is in the centre, we will end up wasting our short years on this planet in trivial pursuits, which don't ultimately matter. And if we continue to seek them first, they will take us away from the Lord, and away from doing the will of the Father, and they will leave us in the end outside the kingdom of God. So may we be those who seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness.
Well, let's pause for a moment to reflect and to pray quietly in our own minds and hearts, and then we're going to join in prayer together.